0: Turn with me, please, uh, to the book of Acts. We're going to begin this morning in Acts chapter 2. You may even want to stick a finger in the book of Ruth. They're early in the Old Testament. We're going to find our way there a little bit later this morning. But as you open up to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time this morning. God, you are great, and what what a significant blessing it is. For us to gather together physically, online, wherever we are, to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask that your Spirit would be at work in our hearts and minds, molding and shaping us, our hearts, our priorities, our thoughts, to the things of God. May there be encouragement this morning. May there be the blessing of the Spirit of God this morning. May there be the courage of the Holy Spirit built inside of us this morning, we pray. God, we give you this time. We ask that you would do with it what only you can do. In your wonderful and magnificent name we pray, amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 is where we're going to start reading here in just a moment. Friends, God designed us to thrive in healthy and productive relationships with other people in Christ. This is how God has designed us to thrive with each other doesn't matter our personality style introvert or extrovert nobody lives unto themselves our lives are inevitably interconnected and God's kingdom actually gives us a design for how those relationships can be filled with the Spirit of God and with the power of God we see this kind of thing from beginning to the end of Scripture God created Adam and Eve And one of the commands he gave them was to fill the earth with even more of them. And then we turn our our attention to the end of things. At the end of Scripture, we see the throne of God in heaven surrounded by multitudes of people who cannot be numbered together, praising and worshiping God. The family of God is an important piece of the work of God throughout all of Scripture. Now, one of the most common descriptions for the church of Jesus Christ is a spiritual family. The language throughout the New Testament, we get things like the people of God, the household of God, the children of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. The people of God belong to two families. We belong to our immediate family, our biological adoptive families and we belong to the spiritual family of God. So in Thrive, we're going to describe spiritual family like this. We are the people of God gathering to support, worship, celebrate, and grow together. This is what we mean as spiritual family. We belong to God, so we gather Because God is who He is, and because all that He has done for us, we encourage each other to do things like worship, and grow, and mature, and celebrate, and walk through life with each other. And like a healthy family relationship, we learn how to support each other no matter our location in our journey with Jesus Christ, and no matter our place or station in life. This is what the spiritual family of God does. So to help us learn how to create and encourage a vibrant and faithful spiritual family, we're going to deal this morning with two disciplines specifically, community and commitment. And we do mean community in terms of an actual discipline, something we do on purpose. We really should deliberately learn how to build one. A healthy and a faithful and a vibrant community that belongs to Jesus Christ, and then become part, a healthy part of that community with each other. In fact, one of the very first acts of the Christian church as it was birthed was to gather together as Christians, as people who follow Jesus Christ, to worship and to take care of each other, the discipline of building and becoming a part of a community, and then commitment When we use the term commitment, we may more clearly see that as a discipline, the discipline in which I need to take steps to engage and to be engaged with others in wise and helpful ways. We are committed to the body of Christ, to the spiritual family. Guys, this is important for us because our cultural inclination is to use communities, We find groups and circles of people who can help further our own personal agenda. And instead of seeing a community as people that we invest in and are committed to, we use them for our own purposes. The biblical story of the family of God is one in which we are committed to the other. We are committed to other followers in Jesus Christ and to the rest of our community. So instead of using communities, we contribute to them as we are committed to them. Acts chapter 2, it's an incredible passage. It's a pivotal passage of Scripture inside of the New Testament. The beginning of Acts chapter 2 actually begins what we call the church of Jesus Christ. God has always had a people that's belonged to him from the very beginning of the biblical story. But the organization that we know of as the church of Jesus Christ begins in Acts chapter 2. When you begin reading in this book, Acts chapter 1, Jesus has his final conversation with his disciples. Then he ascends into heaven, but he's given them this promise that they need to gather together and wait for the coming of the promised Holy Spirit. And when Acts chapter 2 opens... The Holy Spirit descends upon the church, and there are these amazing things that begin to happen, including speaking in other tongues, and he becomes witness to everyone who is there inside of the city of Jerusalem. And as the Holy Spirit falls, the church is born. Peter gets up, and he preaches the first sermon in the church, and Acts chapter 2 tells us that when that sermon is done, about 3,000 people have become Christians. That's quite a day. <laughs> it's an amazing moment. And it begins what we continue today. So now that this has happened in Acts chapter 2, and we've got 3,000 people now, at least, who become part of the body, now what? How do we organize? How do we perpetuate this thing? What becomes important to us now who identify as followers of Jesus Christ? How do we spread this word now to the rest of the world? How do we do this? So the first set of believers, they build instantaneously an identifiable community, a gathering of Christ followers. In fact, the Greek word that is used for church throughout the New Testament is the Greek word ecclesia, And it means people who are called out and gathered together for a specific purpose. So, the word in the English is church, but the word means a gathering of people for a specific purpose. So, what did the very first spiritual family do? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's an incredible passage of Scripture. There's so much going on there. In fact, it would behoove you to spend a little bit of time with that. If you've got a Bible you journal in or you write things down in, Go back to this passage of Scripture and identify those things the early church did. Watch what God did, and then watch how that perpetuates itself through the rest of the, God, the, rest of the book of Acts. It's an incredible list of things that the early church did. And it even acts as a kind of touchstone for us. What was important to the apostles? What was important to that early church? What resulted when they did these kinds of things? It becomes a touchstone for us. Cultures and languages and times change but you and I, this morning, we still walk in that same trail that they blazed. These priorities still belong to us. Now, what we just read here at the end of Acts chapter 2 becomes not only a model for the apostles and the other churches that are built in the next generation, two generations, and on and on. It's not just a model, but what we just read becomes a safe harbor for the apostles as well. So now what happens to the rest of the, book of, the of book of Acts is they begin to travel through the world building spiritual families, followers of Jesus Christ that are patterned on what we just read. One of these moments, a couple of decades later maybe, inside of the church, or a few years later inside of the church I should say, comes in the book of Titus chapter 1. The apostle Paul is writing to a young pastor on the island of Crete and he's giving him orders about how to organize the church. In Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says this, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So what got started, I now give to you so that you can order it the right ways. So we need strong and, and healthy and mature elders everywhere that you go, in every town that has a church, So I give that order-making over to you. So they pattern the spread of the church over what we just read. The more you read the book of Acts, we discover that the apostles keep coming back. (laughs) They keep coming back to the community of believers for spiritual family and um, for support and for encouragement. So not too much further in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4, a couple of the apostles are in the temple. God's performing miracles. They're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're warned, okay, on penalty of of, of of being whipped, of being sent into prison. They're warned to not preach in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. So when the apostles are told that by the religious leaders of the day, what do they do? Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. They returned to their spiritual family. They returned to the church, and they talk about what just happened. And the rest of Acts chapter 4 is this powerful prayer that the church prays, and they say, God, give us courage to continue to speak speak your word. No matter what they tell us not to do, we want the courage to continue to speak your word. So it becomes a safe harbor for them. A little bit further on in the book of Acts, The apostle James is actually martyred. And then Peter is thrown in prison in Acts chapter 12. And while Peter is in prison in the middle of the night, an angel shows up, hits him on the side with a spear, and says, hey, get up, and all of his chains fall off of him. Peter thinks he's in a dream, but the angel opens all the doors, and as Peter walks out the front door of the prison, he sort of realizes what has just happened. And so after being released from prison, Acts chapter 12, verse 12, it says this, when he realized this, when Peter realized what had just happened, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. He goes back to the church. He says, thank you for praying with me. In fact, they don't even believe it's him. The young servant girl who answers the door hears Peter's voice, and he, she runs back in without even letting him in. It's a funny little story. But he returns to the church. It's a safe harbor. It's his spiritual family. And he wants to tell them, I've been released. God is good. So when we look very quickly, the priorities and the activities of the spiritual family built in Acts chapter two, we see a few things specifically. The first is this. They devoted themselves to teaching and to fellowship. We see that they prayed with each other as well. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to gathering together in the fellowship, the breaking bread, and to their prayers. They devote themselves to teaching and to fellowship. It wasn't just one or the other. It isn't just, now we need a download of information on a regular basis. Just make sure that I get the download, make sure that I get the outline for the sermon so that I can remind myself of it a couple of times. They dedicate themselves to the that the apostles teach, and to fellowship with one another. So it's not that they get teaching without the context of fellowship, or they engage in fellowship without the teaching. Both of these things are happening at the same time. So guys, these are critical. The doctrine of our faith is necessary for the perpetuation of the spirit family of God. Now, this is the kind of thing that I could spend hours on, weeks on this very issue, but we have to touch on this very quickly, but I want to make sure we hear this. The truth of Jesus Christ and the content of our faith was central to this church and is central to this church still today. Our spiritual family is founded on these truths. And I'm going to say something radical here. (laughs) The spiritual family ceases to be God's spiritual family when we cease to believe and teach these central truths. It doesn't matter what's on the sign out front. When a body of people cease to believe and teach the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's no longer the spiritual family of God. We devote ourselves to the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And we devote ourselves to gathering together. They even would have these weekly gatherings, as many as could fit inside of a single house. And then they would meet from day to day, from house to house. That language is throughout this passage of Scripture. They gather together to learn, to fellowship. And guys, listen, to eat. Receive your food with gladness and gratitude, it says. Can I be so bold as to say, have thanksgiving, enjoy it, be with family and friends? This is actually part of what the church does. So it's okay to eat (laughs) with the body of Christ. But gathering is critical. In fact, if there might be two things that are identifiable In every church, in every age, in every language, in every culture, is that they gather together and they devote themselves to the things that are taught about Jesus Christ. No matter the culture, no matter the vocabulary, no matter the other priorities, we get together and we worship and we devote ourselves to the things of Jesus Christ. So they devote themselves to these things. Then we see in this passage as well that they supported each other. And that becomes clear throughout the rest of the book of Acts and the rest of the epistles as well. The text says that they collected goods and they shared skills with each other so that the needs of the spiritual family were met. Now, friends, this is important for us to say because of our current cultural climate and the way people talk about these things. So I'm not being punchy. I'm just trying to make sure we understand what Scripture is saying to us. What is described to us here and what we read later on inside of this uh, book is not political communism or socialism. This is the intentional and voluntary giving away of what I have to brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need. Okay, the political version of that is the state coercing your stuff to redistribute it. What is described here is the spirit of God prompting me to give what I have. That's what's described in the church of Jesus Christ. But this is important enough to them that it actually becomes one of the first areas of specialization inside of the church to make sure that our needs are being taken care of. Acts chapter 6. The church is growing so much. The disciples, the apostles, the body has to figure out how to handle this. Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 3. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. So there was a group of people, the Greeks who were being saved, being brought into the church, were not being treated the same way. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. We know what our role is. We're going to find others to fill this role. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. So we need people who are filled with the spirit of God and the wisdom of God to make sure that we are taken care of. It's that important to the life of the spiritual family that we support each other. And we see in this text, in several different ways, that they worship together. It says that they did this day by day, house to house. Verse 46 said that they attended, and these these believers are still in the city of Jerusalem. They attend the temple together day by day. They're worshiping with each other. They praise God together in verse 47. Now, friends, we've talked a little bit about worship in this Thrive series, but we need to remind ourselves of this. We ought to find ways to have worship that is a part of our individual daily lives what is meaningful to us, what raises God in His worth and His praise through our lips and our thoughts and our deeds. Worship needs to become a part of our individual lives, but there is no substitute for gathering with each other to worship God. There isn't a substitute for it. There is variety in gathered worship. If you've sat next to somebody who doesn't have the same singing voice that you do, you know that there's variety in worship. You sat next to somebody who gets really thrilled and excited during a sermon and makes all kinds of noise, you know that there's variety in worship. And there's encouragement in gathered worship. Some weeks are very hard. But there's something beautiful about walking into a building with brothers and sisters in Christ to lift up the one true God. There's encouragement in worship. Pastor Ryan mentioned it. He he prayed part of it this morning. Psalm 122, verse 1. I was exhausted and worn out when they said to me, let's go to church. I was glad when they said to me, let's get together and let's worship God. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house the Lord. So they worship together, and it becomes the pattern of the church throughout history. And then notice this as well. This is cool inside of this passage. It says here that a healthy spiritual family is witness. Verse 47 says, and the Lord added to their number day after day after day this is what they did. This is why they did it. This is how they did it. This is who they worshipped when they did it. And all these miracles were being performed because of the church of Jesus Christ. And God just continues to add to the church those who belong to its number. A healthy spiritual family is witness. Friends, so much of the upheaval in our culture right now is this desperate attempt At finding meaning and value this desperate attempt to try to make sense of what is either right or wrong in our world and when the family of God is weak it lacks public witness its voice is not out there as an answer to the most significant questions that human beings ask but a strong family of God a church that is filled with the Spirit of God, a faithful and courageous group of people who bear the name of Jesus Christ becomes witness to this world. We bear witness to the people who live across this street every time they see you drive in on Sunday morning. It's witness to our community. But this kind of thing that we see, this kind of thing that we use as a touchstone for what we do as followers of Jesus Christ, this requires not just the creation of a community of believers, but believers who are committed to that community. A group of people who believe in the importance of a strong, spirit-filled, witness-bearing and courageous church. Do we know what God's spiritual family is worth? Do we know what it's worth? I want to turn back to the book of Ruth. We're going to use the story of Ruth to talk about commitment and what God is able to do because of it. The story of Ruth really is It's just four short chapters. It's an incredible example of commitment and love and what God can do because of that. It's short, but it's pivotal in the story of the Old Testament and of God's plan for his people, not just the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, but what happens later on through the New Testament and the coming of Jesus Christ. The book of Ruth takes place at a time. It opens up and it says, During the time of the Judges, There is an entire book in the Old Testament called Judges. And during that time, there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of turmoil. That book gets worse and worse and worse and worse. As you read that book, you think, is this really part of the Old Testament scriptures? It appears as if almost nothing good is happening during the era of the Judges. But then we open up the book of of Ruth, and we get this vignette. We get this story of a single family or of what will become a single family. And what God does through their faithfulness. And it begins with the story of Naomi, actually, a Jew. And she flees Judah to Moab because of a famine that has hit the land. She flees with her husband and with her two sons. Her two sons take wives in the country of Moab. But then, after a period of time, her husband and both of her sons die. Now, Naomi has nowhere to go, nowhere left but to turn and go back home. And she leaves, and at least for part of the journey, both of her daughters in law are with her. She reaches a certain point on the journey, and she turns around to both of her daughters in law, and she says, You know what? You have family back there. You don't have family where I'm going. Turn around and go back home. One of those two daughters in law, she turns around and she goes back to the land of Moab. The other one, sticks. The other one stays with Naomi. That's the story of Ruth. Let's listen to this moment in this story in Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Naomi is talking to Ruth, and she's trying to convince her to turn around and go back home to Moab. And It goes like this, chapter 1 verse 15, and she said, Naomi said, And that's where I'm going to be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more so also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she just quit talking. (laughs) She said no more. Ruth's dedication to Naomi is one of the more powerful moments in Scripture between two people. There are stories like this between husband and wife and between friends, but the story between Ruth and Naomi is one of these beautiful moments between two people in Scripture. What Naomi needs and what Ruth gives her in her commitment and in her love. So dedicated to Naomi, Ruth vows to go with her, to stay with her, to leave what was her people in Moab. She says, your people are now going to become my people. She even says, you know what, Naomi? Your God is going to become my God. Where you live, I'm going to live. Where you die, I am going to die. God is my witness. This is what I'm going to do. Ruth commits. Hardcore. (laughs) She commits to a person. She commits to Naomi. She commits to a group of people, the Hebrew children. And she even commits to God Himself. As the story continues, Ruth and Naomi continue on the road. Naomi returns to her hometown of Bethlehem. It's one of those markers inside of the book that tells us there's something else going on in this story. And when Naomi gets back to uh, the little town of Bethlehem, um, the neighborhood women come out and say, Hey, Naomi has returned. And Naomi says, Don't call me Naomi anymore. My name now is Mara. Because God has given me bitterness in my life. The name Naomi means pleasant or beautiful. The name Mara means bitterness. She said, my name's no longer Naomi. I've lost my husband. I've lost two sons. I've even lost one daughter-in-law. I don't know what the future holds. My name is bitterness. How often have we felt like, I just need to change my name to bitterness? So what happens next is that Ruth begins to work in a neighbor's field. And she does so to bring both of them food so that they can eat. The neighbor is a man by the name of Boaz. And we discover very quickly that Boaz is a righteous and God-honoring man. And it turns out that especially given the structure of their culture and how land works and how relationships work, it's a big deal not only that Boaz is a righteous and God-fearing man, but Boaz is a part of the clan. So Boaz can not only marry Ruth, but if and when he does, he actually restores the family's land and fortune back to Naomi. So that's the role that Boaz can play and that becomes the role that Boaz does play in the book of Ruth. In fact, the text calls him a kinsman redeemer because of who he is and what he does with Ruth marrying her. He redeems back to Naomi's family everything that was lost when her husband and her two sons died in Moab. So that's the rest of the story in chapters 2 and 3. And so I want to jump now... To Ruth, chapter 4, Boaz has taken Ruth as his wife. Ruth becomes pregnant. She gives birth to a son. And in Ruth, chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, it goes like this. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life. Listen to this language of what has happened in this book. He has redeemed what was lost. His action means it is a, res- a restoration of life and a nourisher for your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women in the neighborhood gave him a name, saying a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. God gives Ruth and Boaz a son, and the community recognizes that this moment puts back together what was lost, When Naomi was in Moab and all of those members of her family began to die or turn around and leave. The community, as they gather around Naomi at the birth of the son, they say this will be restoration. They remind Naomi that her daughter-in-law loves her deeply and God has blessed her now. And then the text tells us, That the neighborhood women, how would you like that? You give a birth and you you give birth to a child and you allow the neighborhood women to name your child. (laughs) But they say, look, a child has been born to Naomi, so they give him the name Obed. And then the text tells us something. It's more than just God has restored family to Naomi. God has restored family to Ruth. God has done something powerful through Boaz. But the child's name is Obed. And it just so happens that Obed grows up and he gives birth to a son. And that son's name is Jesse. And Jesse grows up and he gives birth to another son. And his name is David. That's King David. One of the sons of David. Who will be born to this line is Jesus, the Messiah. What is God rebuilding? What is God doing? Because of what Ruth said to Naomi in the middle of that desolate highway, I will go where you go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. Ruth throws her life's commitment into Naomi, into Naomi's people, into Naomi's God. And what comes of that is nothing short of the hand of God. So listen to this, friends. Ruth's commitment makes her part of God's redemption story. We go all the way forward to Matthew chapter 1 first thing you read in Matthew chapter 1 is a genealogy of Jesus Christ. And in verse 5, Ruth is there. Ruth's commitment makes her, a part, makes her a part of God's redemption story. Ruth is a part of God's plan for Naomi's family. Ruth becomes part of God's plan for the entire nation of Israel and for the coming of my Savior into this world. But friends, this is just the nature of commitment itself. Commitment to a cause that is greater than we are means that you now have an opportunity to become a part of that greater story. Commitment to a cause means you become a part of someone else's life because they are a part of that story as well. To contribute now to the whole, to be heard, when you commit to a community, you now can be heard inside of that community. You actually now have an opportunity to become part of something that is much bigger than yourself because you have committed to a group of people. And commitment to the spiritual family of God makes you and me a part of what God is up to. So how are you now a part of what God is doing in someone else's life because of your commitment to the spiritual family of God? You and I can now be a Boaz or a Ruth or the neighborhood women (laughs) who are encouraging what God is doing. Our culture is wailing to become a part of a larger, meaningful story. There is no story bigger or better than the kingdom of God. What is our role in the spiritual family? So Ruth's commitment makes her part of God's redemption story. Ruth's commitment restored an entire community of people. Isn't that incredible? Ruth, her commitment means now she has a family. She did not know that on that highway with Naomi. She said, I'm going with you. I'm becoming a part of your world, and I'm going to die there too. But now she has a family, a growing family, because of her commitment to Naomi and to Naomi's God. Ruth's commitment means we no longer just have a Boaz and a Ruth. We have a husband and a wife and a child and a growing family. Ruth's commitment put the family land back into the family. This means a future for Naomi and her grandchild. This is what Ruth's commitment means. Restoration, as the women say in Ruth chapter 4, for an entire community of people. And then, guys, this this to me is always an overwhelming piece to the book of Ruth. Ruth's commitment turns bitterness back into beauty. Notice what the neighborhood women say when they put the child in Naomi's lap. They say a son has been born to Naomi. Now, Ruth did all the work. (laughs) She gave birth to that child, but they recognize what has happened. Child has been given back to Naomi. They don't call her Mara. They name her Naomi. She is no longer bitter, empty, and without a foreseeable future. She is Naomi again. Beautiful, pleasant, blessed by God. Ruth's commitment to that spiritual family turns someone's bitterness back into beauty. Listen to how God talks about His restoration of people. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3, it's a passage that Jesus quotes, cites of Himself in the New Testament. Isaiah 61, verse 3 says, To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint or broken spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified God not only puts you together he sinks a taproot into the ground that turns you to an oak of his righteousness so that the world can see the glory of God they bless the Lord because he's given Naomi a son it's incredible Naomi becomes the nurse for this child do you think that she ever thought that day would come in the middle of that dusty highway on her way back from Moab without a husband and without sons. Ruth's loyalty and sacrifice went ahead of her and it became her reputation. It's part of what Boaz knows about her. It gives her standing with Boaz. It is her character and commitment that opens the door for God's restoration in the lives of other people. (laughs) Are you and I in that position with each other? How can your commitment to each other, to each other's God, How can that become restoration in the lives of people who are literally sitting next to you inside of this room? Naomi's life is restored because of what God did in the life of Ruth. God restores and God redeems because of this kind of commitment and because of this kind of work. Friends, I have something to say. So this is how we're going to end this morning and before we receive communion. The Church of Jesus Christ is the body of Christ on earth right now. It is filled with our spiritual brothers and sisters. It is our spiritual family. God's spiritual family is the community that helps to give shape to our beliefs and behaviors. It molds our understanding of life and reality as we open God's word and dedicate dedicate ourselves to what it teaches. It builds a network of mutual support and encouragement when we fellowship together, live life alongside each other, and take care of each other's needs. Our commitment to this spiritual family means we are becoming part of what God is up to. We stick out from the rest of the world as belonging to the story of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. We bear witness to the rest of the world, to the one and only story that in the end has the power to save our eternal souls and give real meaning to this life right now. All other stories are false. (laughs) All other stories demand our souls and destroy them. Commitment to Jesus Christ and his family gives me back my soul both now and forever. The family of God gathers, it has always gathered, it will always gather. There are nations around the world where human power structures make it hard for the church to gather. They make gathering as the church a commitment and a sacrifice, but still the church gathers. I will not let my brothers and sisters in Christ down. I will continue to gather. We will continue to gather. I will be committed to my spiritual family, to the truth of Jesus Christ, and to the power of the Holy Spirit at work inside of our commitment. One of the beneficial side effects of a faithful and courageous church is that the state is reminded it is not God. Another beneficial side effect is that Christians are reminded that the state is not God. Being part of God's spiritual family means we are the people of God who gather to support, worship, celebrate, and grow together we have roles to play in the community that God builds inside of the church. We commit. God's Spirit is at work within us. And our faithfulness to Jesus Christ encourages one another. And we'll become a witness to the rest of the world. Amen? Amen.